לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. Hello and welcome to another edition of Market Talk. I'm Rabbi Elliot Halliday. Highland Park, New Jersey, the Highland Park Conservative Temple Congregation on Chairman. And joining me, my good friends, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanowski, Anche Chesed, New York City, Rabbi Barry Chesler, the Solomon Schechter Day School of Long Island, who is celebrating his first day of school, first official day of school here, which is why he's wearing a tie and I am not. Okay? Jeremy, you're not wearing a tie. Oh my God. So Yo, I, I'm going to I'm I'm gonna I'm giving giving an opening bracha at a school in the neighborhood on Thursday, St. Hilda's and St. Hughes. And they said they said you should dress the way you dress to lead services. So I'm thinking of putting on my tefillin. I think they're thinking I'm gonna wear vestments, but oh my God. Can you imagine? I mean, you know, I today, you know, we're we're a couple of weeks before the holidays. I took my kittle in to to get cleaned because it hasn't been cleaned in <laughs> since before the pandemic okay so so it's it's standing alone now this this kittle uh but it got me excited kind of for for the holidays i'm thinking like you know it's time for well i just bought this kittle anyway we have a double portion here uh ending the book of dvarim uh, which is also this is also our seventh and final week of consolation, um, and and if, when we start these two parshiot, we're thinking about we're thinking about the end. Um, we're thinking about how the book ends. We're thinking about how Moses' life ends. We're thinking about what kinds of things need to be said now that they have all been said for the seven weeks leading up. Now, uh, here we are in the eighth week of of this discourse. Hasn't he said everything? But there's still what to say. So on the one hand, there's a sense of tenacity, Moses' tenacity, and the other hand, the other sense is the book's got to end. The book's got to end. I I, I want to pick up on this theme, which is how the book ends and 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 what's going on. You know, as as Moses is ending the book, and as Moses' life is ending, and I, I'm going to just hand it over to you, Barry, just to. Talk about so it's a, a curious thing. I was mentioning before he came on, I had a professor many years ago, the late Rabbi Byron Sherwin, who described the early part of Rashid as God, the picture, the portrait of God as a young artist, because God doesn't quite get it right at the beginning and has to try a few different times. We have Adam, who's, we have Noah in the flood, and then we have Avram singled out. And at the end, we kind of get a picture of God the portrait of God as an older artist, but he still doesn't know how to end, just like he did not quite know how to begin, because there are a number of different endings to this book. And the curious thing to me is that ultimately Moses will just disappear. He is not going to leave a physical mark on the world, on the stage that he strode so valiantly upon for these 40 years, 
he's going to go away without a trace. So that that's it's it's it is such a remarkable uh, facet of Deuteronomy that I mean the the physical nature of the life of Moses. Moses doesn't have a grave. Moses is buried by God. Moses nobody knows where Moses is buried, and and that has some obvious repercussions, namely that that place never becomes a shrine, and and, and that he never becomes an object of worship, similar to let's say certain famous rabbis. Who are buried in certain important, you know, uh, cemeteries, and they are places of pilgrimage to this day. Um, you know, uh, just we'll, we'll go out a little bit under parenthesis. There's this whole, you know, movement of tens of thousands of people that go to Oman, Uman, right, to be with Nachman of Bratslav in Ukraine. And so this year, you know, the, with the war going on, still uh, there's this possibility that they may not let them. All these thousands of pilgrims come to be at the grave of Nachman of Bratslav. It's it's a fascinating thing, you know. I I if I wasn't a puppet rabbi, uh, it's not that I would think I would go to Uman, but but uh, I am curious about it at least to drop in maybe for an hour. I don't know. Yeah, you can, it's a long yeah, you way to go. Drop in for an hour, Elliot. You know. Um, of course, another shrine like the one you're talking about is is the the supposed grave of Shimon ben Yochai in in, in Mehran. That that you know, just hundreds of thousands of people go to on Lagba Omer. And a couple of years ago, there was a terrible a catastrophe. Uh, terrible catastrophe is there was a stampede. So just the uh, the identification of graves in the Galilee was largely a, a phenomenon of Rabbi Yitzchak Luria, the Arizal in the 16th century, who, uh, how, how do you say this appropriately, uh, graced with Ruach HaKodesh, he was able to identify where these graves were that nobody ever nobody ever noticed before. So he knew where Hosea the prophet was, and this one and that one, and Shimon ben Yochai, um, with this prophetic gift that, that he had. But I wonder if at some level, the seed of the need to identify the graves is stemmed. I guess it's not. I guess the origin is not Moshe, but the fact that you have no grave of Moshe is a. I mean, I think the religious the religious quality of it is incredibly salutary. Moses is gone. You have his book. Okay, that's it. And you will be you will be a student of his book, but you cannot venerate his person. Yeah. And and by the way, let's let's say Christianity has this. Uh, of course, the. Uh, Church of the Holy Sepulchre is over the space where he was, you know, supposedly the cave of Joseph of Arimathea, where he was put in the, but then he left it, according to them, and then he wasn't there anymore. So there is some bit of the story that says the most important person cannot, uh, the grave part has to disappear for them. Yeah. And and the fact that Moshe, we, we have his book, and we don't have his location, I just think that the, the, the poetry of that and the religious meaning of that is just so awesome. So, so now we might look at makes the Torah book always. You Barry said this before we started taping. It makes the Torah a book always of journeying, never arriving. People are always waiting Absolutely. to arrive. Go ahead, Barry. So we might say that it's the triumph of monotheism over magic, because without a gravesite, there is no adoration, and there aren't any relics like we find in uh, some sister religions we're familiar with where different things are cut up and sold um, often, you know, 
in a kind of almost ridiculous way, because if you would put together all the things that were supposed to be part of the cross or part of the robe, you would end up with some colossal garment or, or cross, you know, that would, you would need Shira Kama, the book of measurements <laughs> for the divine to, uh, to find an appropriate body for that. So I, I just want to make one comment, and this is um, from Micha Goodman in his book. This this came out a couple of years ago, or last year, and he he says basically that, which is the body doesn't go in, but the 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 words do go in, and and on you know a corollary to that is words necessitate study and conversation. So we could we could add, and he makes this point also that Dvarim actually gives the this the spark to what becomes Torah Shebalpeh. That the having the words mean you have to discuss the words. And discussing the words is exactly what we're doing. And and we we live through this. This is you know one of the 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 things that, that gives us um great joy and great life. Well let, let's let's talk about you know what what's happening at the at the beginning of Nitzavim. Let's just use that for starters. So Nitzavim Starts out by saying, You are all standing here before the Lord your God. And he lists everybody, Rashechem, your leaders, Shivtechem, the tribes, Siknechem, Shotrechem, elders and officers or magistrates, Kol Yish Israel, and then goes on beyond that. Um, and it's an extraordinary scene. It's a it's a covenantal moment. This is the Moab covenant moment. We had a Chorev Sinai moment. We're having a moment here. We're going to have other moments of covenanting. Um, and he says in this you know inimical way, it's not only you who are here, but it's all the people who are not here. All the people who are here standing. And all the people who aren't here. And he's not referring to people that sleep in on Shabbos. <laughs> oh, which there are. Who's he referring to here? Well, there's sort of two obvious possibilities. And both, I think the pshat, the simple semantic meaning, is the future people. Uh, this, is, this is a covenant that I'm making with you and all your foregoing generations. I would say it's also, on a poetic resonance, um, the the not just the succeeding generations, but the foregoing, you know, uh, um, this, this uh, as, as the passage goes on and says, I make this covenant, uh, the, the, to the end that he, God may establish to you the, to be his people, to be your God, as he promised you and swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So you have this really awesome, I, to me is one of the most, stirring you know chapters in in the torah because you just have this affirmative all am yisrael moment at the covenant those who are here those who are not here including as the midrash fabulously says those who would one day later convert to judaism and we're all making this affirmation um and i just think about you know i i i'm sure we i'm sure we all feel i i certainly feel this strong am yisrael feeling this feeling of my personal identity is because of my membership in the in the corporate body of Am Yisrael, and uh, this this chapter expresses it as well as anybody. So I, I think that it's an attempt to give expression to the idea of eternity. That there's the covenant cannot be broken. 
And I would venture to say that for many people, we are apt to think of the breaker of the covenant as being God, when perhaps we need to focus more on ourselves. In that the question that we have to confront existentially is whether we in fact are faithful to the covenant and not worry so much about whether God is faithful to the covenant. Do you think so? I mean, I, I've been thinking lately about, about this very idea, you know, especially as we are moving towards the, the holidays and and people's relationship with, with God uh, as it becomes expressed. And we, we touched on this a little bit last week. I, I just want to mention this in, in a humorous tone because one of our colleagues uh, put up uh, on his Facebook page, what would you like your rabbi to talk about or to say on Yontem? And, and people wrote in and said, you know, how how can you, you know, be, how, how do you have an experience coming to shul if you don't believe in God or if God is not part of your life? And, and comically, I, I wanted to write back and say, this is what I want my rabbi to talk about. A don alum is on page six thirty. That's what I wanted to say. But the 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 um, the the idea that the covenant is broken certainly animates a lot of our contemporary thinking. I mean, Neil Gilman, Aleva Shalom, you know, wrote his major work. That was that was the the title, sacred sacred fragments. It's it's. We are, we are, we, the covenant has been fragmented by so many things, including modernity, including the Holocaust, the Irving Yitz Greenberg idea, which is, you know, uh, the covenant is kind of broken. And, and we as Jews have to acknowledge that, and that well, we're not only responsible. I mean, maybe you want to clarify that. Yitz, I think, said, because the very idea of a covenantal religion, a breach between God and humanity, and and within or within God and Israel, and Israel a breach with itself, that is to say, our, our human duties and our heavenly duties. Um, Yitz Greenberg said that that with the Shoah, you, you can't really expect God to do God's part, and so therefore, the most faithful Jews in all of history are those who kept the covenant, even when they suspected that God would not keep the divine covenant. And say so we are so loyal to this path, and we are so faithful to this covenant that even even if you think that you can't count on God, I'm I'm still following the path. I'm still devoted to what I, to this way of life. And that that is a huge challenge. That's a that's a tremendous challenge for for a person of faith, which is which is, and maybe it's maybe it's the Deuteronomy challenge too, because Deuteronomy is. Is also kind of projecting a world in which you know the temple may not be what we think it is, and the priesthood not what we think it is, and and Moses is not going to be you know this this towering colossal presence beyond the Jordan, uh, but Torah is, and you're going to have to live with that. So I would say at least part of this the. That, that works so well in this parasha, it, it began at the very beginning of, not the very beginning of Deuteronomy, but early in Deuteronomy, says, listen, I've placed before you, you know, blessing and curse. And here, that's like the opening of this long speech. And then at the end, it's, you know, again, I placed before blessing and curse, you know, good and evil and, and life and death, therefore choose life. It places the the onus the responsibility and the possibility of this religious life in 
our hands. I think that one of the really interesting questions about religion, we who have a halachic religion, a, a religion of law, there's a, there's a way in which, you know, because God said so, is, is the dominant way people have of talking about it. And then the, the main thing that human beings do is obey. And, I, you know, I think I like a lot of orthodoxy in the United States. Like, what do you really have to do? You have to obey. Why should I obey? Because the Torah says obey. Okay, it's part of the religious, you know, toolkit is obeying, obedience. But choosing and autonomy are also really important to say, yes, I love this. I'm not just obeying someone else's command. I'm taking it on. I'm making it myself. And this this bit about, you know, the crossroads of life and death and good and evil, a blessing and curse, therefore choose life, is the great big affirmation to me, not just of obedience, but af for affirmation and autonomy and choice so okay, so so and and maybe you could read that into one of the iconic verses of this parsha, which it says, and I'll just read the the last words of it. Kikarov davar. It's close to you. The, the Torah is not in heaven. The Torah is not beyond the sea. The Torah is right here. Karov davar maod. It's it's accessible to you. Beficha uvilvavcha lasoto. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart to do it. And and so I, as I read this verse, I'm thinking like, did we did we shoot ourselves in the foot by making you know it not so simple and not so easy and slightly different? I mean, all of us are sitting with within reach of hundreds of books, hundreds and hundreds of books that are trying to answer every question, every explanation, and and we all it it seems that you have to have extraordinary mastery for this. And oh, that's intimidating. I, I think I agree with much of what you say, but I also think that the necessity for extraordinary mastery is perhaps somewhat overstated. So while the two of you were talking, I was thinking there's a concept in Jewish theology known as Hester Panim, the hidden face of God. And um, the idea which is rooted in the prophets, although it comes up in Deuteronomy as well, is this idea that God is not always there when we want him to be. Martin Buber devoted a book to that idea of the eclipse of God. And, you know, I'm thinking, what does it mean when we have an eclipse? It means that something has come between us and something else. We're both still there, but there's some brokenness, some barrier that prevents us from meeting the other. And, you know, I sometimes wonder if what prevents us from truly meeting God is not halakha, because we become so subsumed by the need to obey, we lose sight of the fact that we're supposed to be concerned not just with the mitzvah, the commandment, but with the mitzvah, the commander. And a lot of times I suspect the pursuit of mitzvot, of commandments, undermines our ability to relate to God. So, so it's like um, uh, there's an Israeli uh, writer, his name is Dov Elboim, and uh, he comes from a former, he, he spoke in your shul, right, Jeremy? Yeah, yeah. He's an interesting guy, and he, he he grew up in a religious background, and there's this, he, he comes out on a cameo 
appearance on the on the on the series Srugim, and the character who's you know questioning her her religiousness um, asks him, "What is it like to be him now? To to have left, you know, his religious upbringing of mitzvot and and halacha." And and he says in a very beautiful way, he says, "I'm much more religious than I've ever been." I I, I always kind of think about that. It, it's, you know, it, it it obviously presents a caricature of that individual who has has you know choser right? He he turns away and and he's asking questions, and but it it validates the sense that that, you know, it's. The, the the systems and the the laws and the the you know the rigor is complicated for many people and and it can be stifling now we we live i think in a way that that both moderates that understands that interprets things you know with with great flexibility because we we see that as the tradition um, we wouldn't take that that tack as saying, you know, I, I leave it and therefore I'm closer. Um, we 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 are saying though, and I would say this, and we all would say this, you know, the problem for our Jews, I guess, is that you know they need they need a little inspiration. They need to they need they need to be shown a certain thing that look, look how joyful it is look how wonderful it is it's so close shabbat is actually not that difficult to do shabbat i mean i say this all the time to people if you want to do one thing just do shabbat just just and don't even do just do 10% of shabbat and you will see that that the dividends in your life will be phenomenal what could be wrong what could be bad about sitting down to a dinner with people you love most and and saying i'm not going to be online i'm not going to be on my phone i'm not, i'm just going to focus on you can so, you yeah. i think the difficulty is that you know the claim of shabbat from a religious point of view is that this day has to be different from the other six days sure and a lot of people are not willing to do that in other words i remember having a conversation once where with a person who wanted Shabbat to be just like every other day. And, you know, that doesn't work. You know, it may work for an individual. I'm not saying that, but it doesn't work for Judaism. No matter what kind of view you are, you need some idea that Shabbat is different. It right. doesn't have and, to be halachic, but yeah. it's got to be different. It cannot it's be, be different. the same as and, Friday and Sunday. And so what I'm saying here, based on this verse, is it, it's actually not that hard to do. It, we we've established a whole edifice that may look imposing, but but it's not hard. Look, it, is it hard to learn a language? Is it hard to pick up a text once in a while? Is it hard to read a psalm? Is it hard to read a verse? Is it hard to listen to Parsha talk? <laughs> That's easy, you know. And to is it hard to engage? And and that seems to be a question. I, I I'm struggling with that because I I don't think it's that hard. It's, no, it's not. It's I mean that's the point of the verse. Lo he, lo It's not up in heaven. It's not across the ocean. It does being a Jew and finding this meaningful, both in the ritual ways and in the ethical ways and in the spiritual ways. Uh, they're not that hard to do. But I do think that Barry's onto something when saying. You know, and even for the three of us who are, you know, 
like seriously observant, if if in a non-orthodox way, we are are you know seriously observant in the details of Jewish practice. Anybody who does that knows that there's a way in which you can hide from, from true spirituality and true religious meaning in the details. Like I really, you know, it's the 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 grandest, biggest, most important questions. You can you can if you spend all your religious energy checking for shatnes or or like you know there's there's a way in which kashrut is one big gigantic obsessive compulsive disorder and and you can just shower your attention on on making sure that the you know, the milk doesn't let the flashes and and you've waited six hours and you've da 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 I think that 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 can can sap the religious meaning so in when it works. It's beautiful and poetic, and it makes every action meaningful. But you can also hide from big questions because you're so focused on pikayun ones. Right. So that brings us back to Moses, in a sense, because okay. I think what you're suggesting is that religion requires both diligence and vigilance. And, you know, we're left with this image, or we will be in another couple of weeks, of Moses alone on top of the mountain. Can we just repeat those words, please? Diligence and, and vigil, vigilance. Diligence and vigilance. Okay. Yeah. Do that ten times, please, listeners. No, I think the last time I did it, I misspoke. So I'm glad I got it right this time. Diligence and vigilance. I'm going to use that with my blessing, of course. <laughs> good, good, good. Um, so we're going to be left with this idea of Moses on top of the mountain, and you know the. The beauty of that last scene of Moses's life is that, at least according to the rabbis, he dies at the mouth of God, meaning the kiss of God, who withdraws his breath as he had breathed it in at his birth. And um, Moses is left alone, but with God. And what could be more beautiful and more powerful than that? Yeah, just... I, I... Maybe he would want to be around his family, or maybe you know, he. Well, that's that's actually, you, you got to say that's actually um, a sh a shortcoming or a a feature of Moshe Rabbeinu, which is that you know, like the Catholic priests say, uh, you, you know, they, they can't have their own personal families because they're the church is their family. Moshe Rabbeinu, he does have at least one wife, and he does have at least two children. But we don't really hear a whole lot about them. And as a matter of fact, the, there's the, the famous episode in Bahalotcha where M Miriam and Aaron complain against Moshe because of the Ethiopian woman that he took. Modern Americans will always read that as, because of the role of racism in our society, modern Americans will always read that as they complained against him because he took a black wife. What? A and so they're, they're portrayed as racist. But that's not the main way that pre-modern Jewish readers, the Rashi says, according to Midrash, that they complained on behalf of the Ethiopian woman because Moses was celibate. He wasn't being a good husband. Not they complained about her. They complained on her behalf because Moshe didn't have a family life. He was too busy talking to the Rabbana Shalom, so he didn't even care about the people in his life. And I think, we, by the way, we all know that's a, a human phenomenon that, you know, you're married to your job and not your family or you... You only care about the the big stuff and not the small stuff. So I, I think that that's well, resonant. Maybe you know we're we're a step ahead of the ending, but but we are dealing with the pathos of 
of the end here. And and I'm wondering, it comes out in Moses um, in some ways. The 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 ending of these parshiot and certainly the song of Moses at the end is is quite dark. Um, has Moses accept? Does Moses eventually accept his death? Does Moses? Are are, are we as readers? What are we supposed to feel here? What do, what is our experience? Like you guys said earlier, the, the book seems to have multiple endings. This is not that uncommon because the texts are composite. Uh, Moses's poem, the Shulbi on Simchas Torah, about the you know singing the praises of each tribe. That's an end. Next Ha'azinu's week, Ha'azinu is a poem that is also a kind of a dark poem. That's that's an end. Nitzavim, the covenantal affirmation, that's an end. So like the book lends a, ends a couple of times, but I, I would. What do I want to be the case? I, I don't. I don't know if I'm saying that this is the case. I think. I think Ha'azinu and and the Vayelech section of this week's parsha are really quite dark, in which Moses says, "You people are going to go bad. I know you're going to go bad, and, and maybe that's the moment in which a very very successful, but not you know not totally redemptive leader says." I just I didn't accomplish what I thought I was going to accomplish. I didn't leave you entirely, uh, you know, aligned to God. But what I want to have happen is is that I want people, I want religion to teach you to be reconciled to your death. Yes, you are mortal. God is immortal. You are mortal. God is infinite. You are finite. And I want religion to to teach you how to understand that. You know. Moses does say some beautiful things here, and we can't we can't end uh, our our talk here without without the iconic verse of all time of a heart of a chayim. You know that's the capstone of the whole thing. Choose life, which which is on 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 some levels hard to it's hard to interpret, but it's not that hard to interpret because everybody faces all sorts of challenges in life, and and daily for many people that choice is really a, a huge struggle uh, and the Torah is saying I'm behind you I'm with you um I want to give you the courage I want to give you the courage to make those decisions I want to give you the courage to live your life to find inspiration to find things to latch on to because this is the way that's going to give you Tremendous meaning, tremendous joy, and tremendous life. And I, I always think that this is—it's that's beautiful. I mean, that's—it's just the beautiful way that the Torah is ending. It's saying, "Choose life." And of course, you know what's what's the way to choose life through Torah, because Torah is life. You know, Real life. Marbe Torah, marbe chayim. The more Torah, the more life. This is what makes life worth living. Yeah. We are so lucky to be Jews. Most people aren't Jews. We are very lucky. We're the lucky few. You know, it's we we, we pay a price for it, obviously, through history and through you know our existence. Uh, but uh Ashrenu, Ashrenu Matov Kalkenu is what you're saying, you know. Uh happy is our lot and, and happy is our portion that we were born into this and that, you know, many of us, of course, have chosen this. And and we're all choosing different places, you know, to be around Torah and to be around, you know, the community and to make our way back 
in some way, a lot of, we didn't talk about these texts, but there's tremendous texts in this Parsha about, about return, the shove, go back, come back. I just want to, you know, to end with, you know, tshuva is about coming back. Um, is it, and we're coming back to dot, dot, dot. We're coming back to God. We're coming back to Torah. We're coming back to a way of life that, that is, you know, set out for us. And that's going to be our blessing, I guess. Well, we're reclaiming the path. Right? We're, we've been on the path. We've deviated from it. We've gotten lost. And now we Frozen. have an opportunity to get back on the path. We're getting back on the path. We're going to get back on the path. <laughs> We're so, gonna... no, I think that's what teshuva means. That uh... you know, last week you talked about dislocation, and and uh, or not dislocation. You talked about this. We're all displaced people. I like that. I like that a lot. And to this week, we're talking about um, how we all need to kind of get back on the path. That and. I think for the people that have joined us, our listeners and viewers, what a message to 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 give to us and to each other that uh, during the remaining days of Elul, as we make our way back, well, let's make our way back on the path. Let's let's find our path, path to Torah, to what's close to us, and path to Hashem, who's also close to us, and path to God. He's waiting for us. In the meantime, we thank you for watching. We thank you for listening. And we uh, look forward to seeing you again on the next edition of Parsha Talk. In the meantime, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Next week.